The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. It's good to be together. Well, I want to kick off this sermon this morning by um, referring to a Father's Day card that conveyed a heartwarming and humorous message. You've got to visualize it. On the front side of the card, this heroic dad was doing the lawn mowing. But what was quite remarkable about him doing the lawn mowing was that he was pushing it with one hand. And the reason why was because skillfully with his other hand, he was pulling his little daughter in her little kitty's cart. And so simultaneously, if you've got the picture in your mind, he's doing the lawn mowing and he's giving some fun to his kid as well. Inside this Father's Day card, this message was put in large, bold print. Who says that men can't multitask? (laughs) That's good. Well, you know, for those who... Good on you, John. I know that was good. For those who have had, I guess, good dads, um, a scene like this on this Father's Day card can prompt kind of happy memories, fond memories of one's childhood and how their fathers interacted with them. But sadly, for a lot of people, when they recall and think about their childhood and their dads, what comes to mind is not happy thoughts, but sometimes sad thoughts, painful thoughts. And unfortunately, some people are left wondering where to turn because of the failings of their father because they've actually felt that abandonment and actually can still, in the present, feel abandoned from their fathers, their earthly dads. What we've noticed in our current series that we've entitled Adopted is that the remarkable message of Christianity is that when you trust in Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, this almighty creator, becomes our dependable, doting father and we become his adopted, cherished people who can claim for ourselves the incredible promise embedded in Psalm 27 verse 10. What is that promise? Well, it's going to be on the screen. Listen to what the psalmist says. Listen to what he sings. He says, even if my My father abandons me. Here's the promise. The Lord will hold me close. This is incredible. Here, the Heavenly Father is basically communicating to each of us, his children, look, even if your earthly father has let you down, even if he's currently letting you down and disappointing you, I will never be that way for you. I will never let you down. I will never disappoint you. In fact, I will hold you not only for the rest of your life, but for all eternity close to my heart, close to myself, which is a remarkable privilege, is it not? It is, right? (laughs) Who agrees? Amen. If you are new with us this morning, four weeks ago, we kicked off a new series entitled Adopted, where we've been looking at potentially this life-changing, even world-changing doctrine of adoption. And for the last two weeks, we've been reflecting on what this adoption actually shows us as, as Christians. If you remember two weeks ago, Anoj, he turned to the famous parable, uh, the parable of the lost sons. And we noticed there that we are adopted because of God's pursuing love, that our true elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, pursued us. He tracked us down and he brought us to himself, into the family of God. He took the initiative. Last week, Layla and Susan did a great job as they described that since we are the adopted people of God, we have this incredible, unshakable inheritance to look forward to. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit, because he is the guarantee who guarantees this future glory, this future wonder. 
And so that's what we looked at for the last two weeks. This week, we're going to think about the relationship between our adoption and holiness. What being the sons and the daughters of God and how that links and associates with living holy, godly, righteous lives. And so for this, we're going to turn to a very well-known, very important New Testament text, the book of Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles, grab those, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. All the references will be on the screen. If you're relatively new to the faith or exploring Christianity and you don't own a Bible, we've actually got some gift Bibles to give away. And so you can grab one of those on your way out of church this morning. That's our gift to you. But let's jump into this text. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to jump in at verse 3 and read down to the beginning of verse 8. Praise be... To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual privilege or blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for, there's the word, adoption to sonship. How? Well, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. Father, would you Bless your word to us, Lord. Without your word, we're lost, but we're so grateful that we have your word. And so, Lord, would you cause it to come alive to each of us so that we know, Lord, that we are your adopted children and help us understand the relationship with our, uh, uh, our adoption and holy living. In Jesus' name, amen. And so for us to kind of think about this relationship as we unpack this passage between our adoption being his kids and and living holy lives, I want us to think about and reflect on the following two words. The two words are these, expression and motivation. Expression and motivation. The first, expression. Living lives that are pleasing to God, and essentially it's what holiness means. Holiness is shorthand for living lives that cause God to smile, cause him to sing, cause his heart to rejoice, and that should be our concern as believers. Living this way, lives that are pleasing to him, is the way, listen to me church, the way we show and the way we demonstrate and the way we express that we are his children. In other words, living holy, holy, holy lives as our Heavenly Father, who is, according to Isaiah chapter 6, holy, 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 is about being true to type. It's about being true to kind. You remember when Hillary kicked off our series four weeks ago, uh, he used the analogy, the metaphor of the apples falling close to the apple tree. Who's familiar with that metaphor, by the way? Yeah, I use it with my kids quite often. Hey, you're supposed to be my kid, you know, the apples fall close to the apple tree, you're meant to be like your, your dad. Well, that's essentially what it's communicating, like father, like son, which means that if we are sincerely the adopted children of Christ, of, of our father, then we ought to be holy as he is, and when we are, we show and demonstrate that we have his DNA. We have his DNA, his life in us. This is why we turned to this classic passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here in verses 4 and 5, how he brings this connection together between our adoption and living holy lives. He says in verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now just keep that phrase in mind. He chose us. He chose us. 
Now verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now this is remarkable. This is mind-boggling. This is what the apostle was telling us. He's saying, hey look, before the cosmos was created, before there were stars, before the universe was, you were on his heart. He looked into future and he saw you, not as lovable, but he saw you as lost. He saw you as sinful, but on the basis of his incredible costly love, he chose you. He predestined you. He selected you to to be what? Well, we're told, verse 5, his adopted children. But as his adopted children, how are we supposed to live? That's the question. Well, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? What's the word? Holy. To be holy. To be blameless. And so we've been adopted to be holy. In other words, if we're truly going to be his apples, then we need to resemble his heart. We need to resemble and reflect his character, both privately and publicly, because this is how we express our adoptive nature, by being holy through righteousness. Can you see? And so really, before we move on to our second word, our second phrase, which is motivation, I just feel that we need to drill down a bit deeper, a bit further into this expression of our adoption so that we actually visualize together what it actually means to be the adoptive children of God and and how we're supposed to be holy. You know, I went to Bible college and I was there for four years, but I don't remember much, just being honest with you, I don't don't remember much about Bible college, kind of what I learned. I think it was because I just had to learn so much. And I know others of you have been Bible college and maybe that's your experience as well. You kind of reflect on your Bible college days and you think, what did I actually learn? And that's a bit troubling, isn't it? Because I'm supposed to be a pastor, you know, I'm meant to be the expert on things, but I'm not. That's just a reality. And I need to go over things over and over again. But one thing I'll never, ever forget was when I was in first year. And normally, you know, first year, you're a bit of a sponge. For those of you who've been to university, a bit of a sponge, just take on everything. And I remember this one subject, it was spiritual formation, and the lecturer was a guy called Stuart Colton, and now he's the principal of SNBC. And I remember being in this particular lecture, and he said words about holiness that I'll never, ever forget. He said, you know, a lot of people think that holiness is a question of what we do or don't do in our private lives. He said, that's right. He said, but holiness, biblically, is also what we do out there publicly in the world. Now, this is massive, and it's a concern of mine, and clearly it was a concern of his, and likely still is a concern of his, is that for Christians, sometimes we can think that holiness is exclusively a private matter. Just an inside thing where we avoid certain vices, lust and gossip and bitterness and all those other nasty things and pursue virtues, love, joy, peace, patience, the fruits of the Spirit. And that's right, that is about being holy. But being holy, as Stuart Colton rightly said, is about being out there. It's about being public with our holiness, public with our faith. In other words, seeking to advance the values of our Heavenly Father out there in the community, in the world, in society. And if you, if you want a text, I guess, to show that this is so, I would turn to James chapter 1, verse 27. Turn to a number of different places in the Bible, but this is conclusive. Listen to what James the Apostle tells us. He says, Religion... That God our Father, now what's that? That's the language of family. God our Father, we're his children. 
And so he says, this is the kind of spirituality, Christian spirituality, that he accepts as pure and faultless, causes his heart to sing, in other words, two things. Notice, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, what is that, class? What is that? That's public holiness, yeah? It's, it's looking out to others, the vulnerable, the needy. And he goes on to say, secondly, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What's that? Isn't that more private, kind of inside? And so clearly here, according to James, true wholeness, if we're going to be his kids, his children in the world, we need to express this wholeness both by being private and public with wholeness. That's what he says. This aspect of public wholeness is severely, I think, at times, underrepresented. And often sermons, just you've got to do this, you can't do that. And yet we need to be aware that the Bible speaks to this public wholeness again and again and again. And so because it is unrepresented, I want us to just kind of drill down into this public aspect, public dimension of wholeness. And I want us to understand this in two main ways so that we are really the children of God and we live that way. So two ways. Number one, we're to advance the values of our Father our Father's kingdom, by first living for the good of others. Living for the good of others. In other words, I'm talking about here being committed to justice in the world. Committed to justice in the world. Now, we could unpack James 1.27, but we're going to go to an Old Testament passage, a very familiar passage that makes this clear. Micah 6.8. Listen to what Micah says. God says through the prophet. He says, he has shown you, old man. Put your name there, old man, old woman. Put your name there. He has shown you what is good, what is pleasing. And what does the Lord require of you? Well, listen to what he says. To act justly to love mercy notice not just do mercy but to love doing it to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God now can you see the dual nature of holiness again in this text it's private walking humbly with your God and it's public to do justice to love mercy now again there's a lot that could be said about this rich pregnant passage but I just want to hone in on the term to act justly this word, this phrase, to act justly, is rich. And it communicates, it translates the Hebrew term mishpat. Mishpat, actually there is something I remember about Bible college, is this too. Mishpat. Mishpat. This term, mishpat, is a rich term, a rich word, and it's used in the Hebrew Old Testament some 200 times. Mishpat, 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 mishpat. And so clearly, it's an important word. But what does it mean? Well, it means this, to give people their rights. That's what it means, to give people their rights. In other words, because every single human being is made in the image of God, they have intrinsic value, and therefore, as fellow image bearers, they ought to receive our help, especially, and this is something the Bible says emphatically again and again and again, the vulnerable and the needy especially them. They need mishpat. And we as Christians, if we're going to be the children of God, really out there in the world, we need to be dedicated to mishpat. You know, one writer talks about in the Bible the quartet of the vulnerable. 
You often see this particular category, you know, of the fatherless and the orphan and the widow and the immigrant. And in our day and age, you could add to that list the homeless, single parents, the unborn child, sadly, tragically at times, immigrants, uh, refugees, those who are sex trafficked. And and you could add to that long list. And, And if we're really, truly going to represent God, be his children, then we need to be about these things in the world. If not, then we've largely missed what holiness is all about. You know, one writer, Bruce Wartke, uh, he's a lecturer in, at Regent College in Canada. He has written a fantastic commentary on the book of Proverbs. And if you've read Proverbs, you're familiar with that book, this term mishpat crops up again and again and again. In fact, I've been reading my own devotions, the book of Proverbs, and every time this term crops up, I've just highlighted it. Well, you should see my, my Bible, not my preaching Bible, but my, my reading one. It's a paperback. It's really tatty. But I've just highlighted. It's just full of highlight. I might as well just color the whole book in because this term just crops up again and again and again and again. Well, listen to what this commentator, Bruce Walty, says about this term mishpat. He says, the righteous or those who are committed to mishpat are willing, now these are challenging words, to disadvantage themselves in order to advantage the community. You hear that? In other words, willing to cut into, eat into one's lifestyle, cash, time, energy, in order to lift burdens of people. That's what it means. Notice what he says. He goes on to say, but the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. You see, church, this is where the rubber meets the road. Are we expressing our adoptive nature this way by being committed to these things? Social justice, defending the orphan, the elderly, the unborn child. I didn't say this in the first service because it's really sensitive. I just feel to say it in this one. Also defending the the mums who are harassed by their spouses and even husbands to terminate their little life in their womb. You know, I, I met up with a fine lady a couple of weeks ago, Jennifer Gurry, her name is, and she heads up an organization called Diamond Women's Support. And she told me that recent stats suggest that 90% of the time, the reason why mums and women are bought is because they're being bullied by their spouse or their husband. And my question is, who's going to be there for her? Who's going to be there for the the fatherless? Seriously, that little one has no father figure. And you know what? God places the responsibility on whom? On us, the church, primarily. Challenging stuff. You see, if we're not committed to these things, we have missed holiness, what it's about that we need to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. We need to protect those who cannot protect themselves. We need to, again, I'll emphasize it, eat into our lifestyles. Often we think, okay, if I've got enough surplus, I will give. That doesn't do justice to the biblical language. Mishpat is eating into your lifestyle, your comforts, your pleasures, in order to lift the burden to be about Mishpat in the world. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 22, and I actually forgot to put the text on the screen, so I apologize for that, but I'll read it out to you. 
the Lord speaks to one of the Israelite kings, not a, one of the well-known kings, who was not given to Mishpat. He wasn't about justice in the world, but about greed in the world. And these words are challenging and they apply to each of us. Listen to what the Lord says to this king. He says, does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? In today's language, that means more material prosperity, just comforts in the den for you to enjoy. Is, is that what it means to be my, my, my people? Did not your father, he, he says, have food and drink? That's the bare essentials. He did what was right and just. There's that word again, mishpat. He was given over to mishpat. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy. Now listen to what the Lord says. These are challenging words. He says, is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Do you hear what he's saying to you? Do you hear what the Lord is saying to each of us this morning? He's saying this. You say that you know me. You say that you know me. You say that you're my child. But if you're not committed to these things, then clearly you don't know me very well. That's what he's saying. You don't know me. You're not acting as my children. Oh, you might be my children, but you're not acting as my children. Because I'm about this in the world. This is what I'm about. I'm the God of Mishpat. And my people need to be about it too. Challenged? Well, there's more. There's more. I should have warned you to put your crash helmets on before this section in the sermon. But there's more. You see, we publicly express that we are the children of God by living for people's good. But also, we're to express that by living for people's eternal good. Eternal good. Now, now here we're not thinking about justice. We're thinking about gospel proclamation. We're thinking about the gospel. Because look, being holy means publicly living for people's good. We've established that. And publicly living for people's good must include living for their eternal spiritual welfare. Where, yes, we care for people's bodies. Yes, but we care about their souls. And the only thing that can transform a soul is the gospel. The saving message of Christ that carries the lavish love of God. We've read about it in our text this morning. You know how he says the lavish love, this grace upon grace, his glorious grace. I like to think of it like God's Niagara Falls love. Have you ever been there, Toronto, or if you've seen it, it's just this, this surging, powerful water. Well, the gospel carries the surging, powerful love of God. And yet people won't experience it. If we're silent, if we lock it up in our own hearts, oh, we may come to church and do our praise the Lord, hallelujah thing. And that's good. We need to do that. But out there in our world, your colleagues, your neighbours, your lost family members, they need to hear this message. If they don't, the Bible says they will be lost. So yes, we need to be committed to people's good, but they're eternal good. They're eternal good. And this is what it looks like. This is what holiness looks like, ought to look like in our lives. And when we're this way, we live this way, we show to be his adopted people. So challenged? Yeah, I'm challenged. I've been thinking about this all week. I've been really challenged, thinking about where, where I'm at and how I'm using my funds and constantly being too scared to talk to my soccer buddies about Jesus. Like, Lord, please baptize me. Just fill me with your spirit, Lord. Being challenged will only get you so far. It will only get me so far. 
something needs to come alongside challenge and say to challenge, okay, thank you, challenge, you've done your necessary work, but I've got to take the will from here on in. I've got to take the bat on. And you know what that is? It's our second phrase, our second word, motivation. It's motivation. Listen to me. If holiness, both private and public holiness, is the expression of our adoption, then it's better understanding with head and heart our adoption that becomes the motivation for holiness. Now, I'll say that again because that was a mouthful and a brainful. If holiness is the expression of our adoption, then understanding, realizing, having that inner tasting knowledge, that inner tasting revelation that we are the chosen children of God that becomes the impulse, the motivation for holiness. Or to continue with that apple tree analogy, the apples will fall closer to the tree of God's nature when we realize, we have this inner realize that we are, according to Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8, listen, the apple of his eye. And we taste that, the apple of his eye, which means what? Which, which means that we are his cherished people. It means that we've experienced this love that is intense, Niagara Falls, deep within, and we have that tasting knowledge where we say, Abba Father, Abba Father. And when you experience that, obedience, wholeness, righteousness takes on a whole new lease of life. Because it becomes something that's not just moralistic. Oh, you're going to drag my feet. I've got to love mercy. No, you want to love mercy because you love your God. You love your God. In fact, I can take this one step further. It's when we realize, this inner realization of what it cost our Heavenly Father to make us His children, that really does stimulate holiness. It becomes the impulse for our holiness. And, and what did it cost our Father? Come on. What did it cost Him? How did he secure this privilege of being the adopted sons of God? Well, let's go back to the text. We'll conclude with this. Verse 5 again. In love. Now, this time, when you read love, you just put in brackets, costly, sacrificial. In costly, sacrificial love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Now, here's the key phrase. Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus. This is shorthand for what? This is shorthand for the cross. This is shorthand for Golgotha. This is shorthand for Calvary. How do we know that? Drop down to verse 7. In him, that's in the son, the son that the father loved and gave. We have redemption through his blood. Blood. We are the sons of God because the self-donation of the Son of God. Going back to that quote in Proverbs, we are to disadvantage ourselves, to advantage. Talk about Jesus. You know, he disadvantaged himself. He came from heaven. Talk about downsizing. He came from, from glory to do what? To be about Mishpat. That's what the prophet said, Isaiah 42 and other places, that the Son of God will be about Mishpat, that he would lift the burden and advantage others. And to secure this incredible privilege of being the adopted children of God. J.R. Packer, and we've based this sermon series on one of his chapters, The Sons of God. It's an epic read, and so I encourage you to read it. But he says this, that the greatest summary in his mind of the Christian message, it can be summarized in three words, these words, adoption through propitiation. 
Now, for you Bible nerds out there, you're like, you're just, you're just exploding in your mind. Mate. You're like, I'm oh, mad. That, that just nails it. It's seriously adoption through propitiation. But for others, you're like, what the heck does that word mean? Propitiate. I mean, how do you even pronounce that word? I mean, adoption through propitiate. What does it mean? What does this mean? Well, Pack is absolutely right. But let me help all of us understand it by just painting a vivid picture. On the night before the cross, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden, we're told by the Gospel writers that he experienced untold pain and anguish to the point where he had to go to his disciples and say to them on three separate occasions, come on guys, can you just watch with me? Like, like, can you just stand with me? My, my heart is breaking, essentially. My, 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 my mind is, and my body is disintegrating, so much so that Luke, the gospel writer, he was a doctor and interested in medical issues. He says that Jesus sweat blood. And sometimes in extreme cases, people who are undergoing psychological and emotional torment actually sweat blood. And so here's Jesus sweating blood, and the question is, Why? Why this torment? Why was his heart unraveling? Why was he recoiling? Why was he being disintegrated, as it were? Why? Well, because of what he was going to do the very next day. What was he going to do? He was going to bear your evil. He was going to bear your guilt. He was going to bear your wickedness. And what did that mean for him? What was it going to mean, bearing our guilt, bearing my judgment? Well, To use the language of Psalm 27, verse 10, the passage that we started with, it meant him being pulled away from his heavenly father. You remember in the gospel, Layla used the reference last week when Jesus says, you know, the father and I are one. All eternity, we've been one. And elsewhere in one of the gospels, he says, you know, if you all forsake me, that's okay because my father is with me. But here is Jesus contemplating the cross and what's going to happen there as he suffers. He realizes, hold on, I'm going to be pulled away from my heavenly father. I'm not going to be held close anymore to him. And yet remarkably, as our hero, as our savior, even with a broken heart, he said, not my will be done. But Father, your will be done. You've sent me to embrace the cross, to hold that cross close for my people's sin so that they may be eternally held close. Can you see? You see, when this gospel penny drops, something shifts, something happens. I pray that it's our experience today that we're not just sitting there going, oh yeah, that's right, the cross. But as you go, yes, the cross, that's what he did for me. He was God forsaken. He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would never be forsaken. But actually enjoy the promise of Psalm 27 verse 10 forever. You see, guys, when this gospel penny drops, holiness takes on a whole new lease of life. Again, I will say, we don't drag our feet, okay, I've got to do justice, love, mercy. No, we want to please the one who at great cost to himself sent his son to win us, to ransom us, to turn us from being slaves into his royal sons and daughters. Amen. That's the game changer. How about we stand, church? I want us to... If you feel comfortable with doing this, just 
stretch out your hands to heaven. Because I've been realizing more and more just lately, just recently, that it's the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, who makes these things come alive in our hearts. That we may know these things cognitively, intellectually, but, but it's the Spirit who makes us to experience what we've been thinking about this morning, actually being the adopted children of God. And when we're filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, we become holy. Become holy. And so, Father, in the name of your Son, the one who baptizes his church with the Spirit, fills again over and over his church with the Spirit. Lord, I just pray. I pray, Father, that you would do this, Lord. We are in desperate need of your Spirit, Lord God, because we want to be holy as you are. As Peter tells us, be holy in all your conduct. For your Heavenly Father is holy. We want to be this way, Lord God. We, we, we want to be privately holy, we do, but we want to be publicly holy as well because we know this thrills your heart, Lord God. And we confess, Lord, that we don't often love doing mercy. It's an inconvenience, Lord. And yet, would you just change the motivational structure of our heart that we may, Lord God, be about what you're about in the world, Father. So, Lord, fill us. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.